The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, we are back. Eric Newman, New York, BJ Armstrong, LA, and BJ, uh, exciting Sunday again, parts three and four of The Last Dance. Before we dig into some things, uh, you made your debut, you were sharp, you were on point. How did it feel to see yourself on the big screen? Well, Eric, um, it's always weird to see yourself on television. It's, uh, It's one of those things you never get comfortable with, at least I'm never comfortable with. So it's it's way more fun to see the other guys and see, you know, the the players, Scotty, so forth, and all of a sudden you pop up on the television. It's just it's one of those things that I've always. It's like uh, I've never felt comfortable seeing myself on television. I can only imagine what it would be like to see yourself in the movie oh, yeah. theater, and it's it, it's 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 so weird and so awkward and. Um, but, you know, um, here we are, and we're talking about it, and now we're looking forward to what episode, what five and six. So, uh, you know, it's it's been it's been great thus far. I think it's been well done, and um, very interesting that people are still enamored with these stories some thirty years. Yeah, later. and and you know, showing it through the lens of um, more of this sports doc crazed modern day filmmaking, the merging of the beautiful 1998 footage, which if you're curious for why and how it looks so good out there, it was shot on film. And then the use of all of those archives from the eighties and the nineties, along with the present day interviews to uh, set up the story and it's been uh, it's been quite a journey thus far. And just to remind everyone, BJ could have watched himself ahead of time, but chose not to. So uh, I understand that feeling of seeing yourself on the screen the first time, and you know, flashing back to moments earlier in my career, whether it was the first time I heard myself on the radio or the first time I saw myself on uh, some you know Nike basketball featured. Uh, delve into our grassroots program it kind of freezes you and puts you on pause i can't imagine the magnitude of what you were feeling with millions and millions of people watching along with all of this dialogue and content being created around it and you know kudos to the the whole filmmaking team over there for getting this ready two months early uh, as we're absent the NBA playoffs, and it's literally being covered right now uh, like it's a playoff series, which, uh, you know, adds even more excitement to this. So, you know, today, BJ, we're, we're continuing on with this um, great conversation we had with your former teammate and old friend Will Perdue. But, uh, you know, before we get to some of these things, which really take us into the second three-peat where you guys were no longer uh, on the Bulls, um, there are some things that you and I are going to dive into right now from uh, episodes three and four to discuss. So I want to make sure you're, uh, you're limber. You've got, the, you've got the road red shorts on. You've got your, your air flights on, and you're ready to go. You good? Awesome. <laughs> ready awesome. to do it. So, Let's get it. You know, one thing that always... Uh, mesmerized me as a, a a student of this, a storyteller, but more so just like looking up to ball players when I was young was the commitment to winning and the commitment to getting ready for the journey that was ahead. And I think with what you shared about losing to the Pistons in Game 7 in 1990, 
reinvented that and took that to another level. You stated that the team didn't even take time off after that series ended on June 3rd. What was that collectively like? What was the conversation like? And how quickly did the work begin after the Pistons go to the finals and you guys know that the time to prepare to reach that mountaintop again starts as soon as possible? You know what, Eric? It, it, you know it's it, it's fun to relive and and retell those stories, especially when, you know, you get the re, you know the results or the the uh, that you're looking for, or you're able to reach a goal. You know, at that time, um, you know, if truth be told, um, those that time there was a lot of uncertainty uh, with all of us, and. When you lose, Eric, and, you know, it's a way to lose. You can lose and you can say, well, I didn't play well. Well, you know, make an excuse. I didn't shoot well or whatever the excuse may be. But this is the first time that I had ever lost a game where I had to admit, like, this team was, they were better than us at that particular time. And that forced me to look at myself and figure out, what I could do to participate in the group, you know, um, and and that's a, you know, not to like I'm trying to talk over, you know, people who don't understand the game, right? There's a lot of things in life I don't understand to this level, but we knew we had a great mm-hmm. team, but they were just better at being a team than we were. We had we we had individual talents you know we had size we had athleticism but they knew how to be a better team well sure and, so and just and just for context anything, there bj i mean that's that's natural when you're together as a core unit for that was their fourth deep run in the playoffs together so that that's natural but well, I, I think I, I think I, I look I, I think when you look at it you'll say yeah that would seem natural but sometimes in life, things just click, and sometimes in mm-hmm. life, they don't click for whatever. You know, you, when you're building a team or you're putting together a group, you'll say, on paper, this looks good. But in reality, it just doesn't work. And then sometimes, you, vice versa, you'll think, this will never work. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know why this works, but it works. We had all of the ingredients, but there was one ingredient that required us to do that all teams have to do right they have to be connected to each other in a way that gets you out of yourself right none of us individually could beat that team but they had to learn their lessons from other great teams that's why those teams separate themselves so I remember after losing that game the confidence wasn't shaken but was we had to make a commitment not to the opponent, but to mm. ourselves. And if we were going to do this, we had to look at, I had to look at Bill Cartwright and Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and John Paxson and Craig Hodges. And we had to go in there as a unit to beat this team. It wasn't just one guy, you know, as great as Michael was, it just wasn't, you know, Michael, he could impose his will for the most part, you know, just about on every other team. But with this particular team, it was just a little different. And we all knew that. And that was something that we had to figure out amongst ourselves and looking back upon reflection, right? I just remember the pain that we all experienced um, because we all wanted to win. We all had our hearts and our desires and preparation and everything was in the right place. Just because you work hard doesn't mean that you're going to get the results. You know, life doesn't work that way. What we had to do is we had to figure out a way to get the outcome that we wanted no matter what. And that requires something that's totally different. You know, just because you shoot 100 shots doesn't mean that you're going to – 100 shots a day doesn't mean that you're going to actually make them when you get to the game. Um, and that's what you have to learn here. And I think the lesson is, yeah, just because you do something or you work hard or you put in the extra time or, you know, all these things, I'm grinding. No, that doesn't work that way, right? It requires you – first of all, do you have the talent to do it? 
Second, are you fully committed? Because just as, you know, there's another guy shooting just as many yep. shots. So or there's a guy that's working just as hard. And the dedication came in that suddenly the, the true opponent was actually the, the person that was staring back in the mirror because we had to make the, the biggest commitment that we all had to make was we're willing to do this win together we're willing to lose together but more importantly i think we were all joined at the hip if you will to go down this path because it was an unknown uncharted territory for all of us and that was you know and looking back on it that was the the lesson and you know just because you play hard eric doesn't mean that it's going to work for you just because you are in the gym practicing Yep. It doesn't matter because some of these guys are just that incredibly talented, right? Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, they were just incredibly talented, right? And it didn't matter how much I practiced or how much weights I lifted. You know what? Those guys had incredible amounts of talent. But what we did have is that when it comes to a team sport, you can figure out how to compete, even though you may have not the same individual talent as someone. And that's the beauty of playing on a team sport. Yeah, you know, what's really coming through in the film, obviously, is, uh, you know, Michael Jordan's, you know, relentless drive, his competitive spirit, that obviously is is contagious as, uh, you know, you're in competition in these playoff series, but you, you just said it, being joined at the hip, and, you know, all 12 players, uh, everybody's got their own things that makes them tick, motivates them, drives them, but they all need to have that in order for you guys to collectively get to the next level. Um, what did it feel like to have that collective sense of, of purpose together and know that everybody's ready to put this time, work, commitment, and focus in to, to get this done? Well, it, it was very uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's not something that you do naturally. Um, you don't just go around... You know, I think, you know, when you, anyone who has kids, you know, you, you have to learn how to share. You have to learn how to communi communicate, to cooperate, to collaborate. So this wasn't a natural thing for anyone, right? It's only natural to say, you know what, I, I, I can do this myself. And, you know, we encourage that type of behavior uh, in sports and, being a, a guard, you quickly learn that the, the most powerful thing that you have as a lead guard is, is, is a couple of things, right? You have to learn how to manage a game, manage the score, and then figuring out how to always go away from pressure, right? If, if, the, if the defense is on this side, you have to figure out how to go away from the pressure so that you can relieve the pressure, right? And, you know, in basketball terms, those are, those are mm -hmm. called pressure releases. So, you know, you, you figure that out as you go along. But the, the natural response, especially early in your career, is to take on a challenge, right? Someone comes up and challenges you, you accept the challenge. And that's the first part of competition. But when you get to more complicated, you know, matches or complicated games, you have to learn how to think through the game. And that requires, you know, for you to have an understanding of yourself, understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, understanding your team's strengths and weaknesses. So the game, when you're playing at a championship level, gets very sophisticated. And, you know, that we could talk about that all day. But, but the big thing is, is that, you know, if you're playing the game at that level, right? So there's different levels. There's preseason level. There's the regular season level. There's the playoff level. There's, you know, fourth quarter Eastern Conference level. And then there's championship caliber basketball and when you reach that level you you have a certain vulnerability that everyone is dependent on the other when you're playing the game at that level because yeah it's a you can be incredibly gifted and individually as a player but it's highly unlikely that you're going to win an nba championship with just one person because those teams are so good, and um, that's what we had to learn, and and it was uh, it was new, it was uncomfortable, it wasn't like it was a comfortable thing, right? Why should Michael 
feel comfortable passing me the ball when he has been carrying the load for the last seven or eight years, whatever it was before we got there. Why, why would Bill Cartwright, who has been playing in the league 11 years, suddenly is going to trust some guy who's been in the league two or three years? That's, so these aren't you know, just normal responses. This is something that yep. you build. You know, trust is something that you earn. And um, we certainly had to go through our bumps and our lessons and all the things to get to that place where we can feel comfortable. You know, I think it was in one of the episodes you saw Michael had to get to that point where, you know what, John Paxson is here. Because that was a big moment for all of us. And uh, John was able to deliver, but certainly, you know, that those type of actions or those type of responses take time to do and and, and, and you understand those yeah that was a great uh breakdown within the story um you know for the diehards out there that were old enough to remember watching that series um you know we, we remember Paxson shooting the heck out of the ball uh in different stretches but the, the breakdown of the trust and how it came about and seeing what the comfort level became with the quote-unquote supporting uh, players on the team, you know, great to see in the spirit of that, BJ, all that time in the gym, all of the hours spent together. Do you recall a moment, whether it was the summer of 1990 or early in that 90-91 season where it just felt different and it felt like you guys knew that you had put the time and the work and the growth was happening together to, to get to the top of the mountain? No. No. You, you, you know, you know, that, you know, that's very hard to, 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 to share that with people, especially young people, right? You know, people, it's only natural, and I went through it as well. You think, well, if I'm practicing 10 hours a day, that means that I, it's almost like a right. Yeah, no, but more like, so, you know, more like, so about like, a yeah. moment where you looked, you looked around the locker room or the gym, and it was just that, that that vibe or that tone, you know. So, um, so well, I, I can. This is this is what I this is what I learned when you go down that path, right? When you go down that path, you have to be uh, you have to be comfortable not knowing, right? I have to be comfortable. You know, with saying, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I got to just enjoy yep. the process, right? The thing that I came to the conclusion as I'm going down this journey as a young, as a young person, as a young man, was to never trust <laughs> happiness. That's yep. what I learned. Like, you never trust happiness. There is no such thing as, you know, if you can take a thousand shots, why can't I take a thousand and one? If you can take a thousand and one, why can't I take a thousand and two? So what I came to the conclusion when you are pursuing something like this is never to trust happiness, never to trust it. And that was the only way I could get through it because what is enough and and it's and you, and you it's never enough, right? You know, it, 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 one of the lessons was okay. As he was lifting weights, he said he asked for six reps. Yep. Michael gave him twelve. Why can't I do thirteen? Yeah, does this tie back Why to not? your uh, one of one of my favorite things you've shared with me since our time doing this is uh, the the suffering theme in the NBA. Does does this tie directly to that? it doesn't once you become comfortable that's when it's over it's over for you you're playing against the very very best the the difference between winning and losing is just a, a a possession so there is no such thing that champion when you play at a championship caliber level, there's no such thing as enough. No, you may think it's enough. I'm going to find yeah. a way. I don't know what's it going to take for me to win this game. 
I'm not concerned about if it goes five overtime, six overtime. I don't care. But what I do understand, I'm willing to go wherever it yep. takes me. That's the difference. And when you do that, you escape all of these ways to define hard work and all those things. Because no one's going to outwork the other person. No one's, I don't care what you do, you, me, and all the other people will never be better than Michael Jordan. Can't work hard enough to be better than him. What are you going to do? He has superior talent. That's the hard thing to come to the understanding. That's how good some of these players are. Akeem Olajuwon doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can you can do whatever you want to do. You can watch as much tape as you want. Some of these guys are just that incredibly gifted. But what we can do is say, oh, whatever it's going to take to win this game, I'm going to go there. That's a whole different mentality. Now the score, you've leveled the playing field to now it it comes down to simple things that you can control, right? I can control my conditioning. I can control my discipline on whether I want to chase over this screen or I can control the pounding that I'm capable of receiving because I prepared myself for that moment. I can, there's some things you can control, but for the most part, you can't control anything. So I never, ever, ever, if I ever felt happy, I knew <laughs> that was a major problem. <laughs> No, that was a that major makes, problem. That makes makes total sense. I was I was I I had to. The only way I felt comfortable was when I was absolutely <laughs> miserable, because I was aware that there was somewhere, somebody, whether he was here or around the world, that was always going to yep. do more, and was always going to do more. And 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 if you're not willing to live on that edge, this is not the place for you to be. Everyone says they want to be a champion or they want to be this or what have you. Sounds great. Who am I to tell you you can or you can't do it? But I can assure you that once I finally got in that locker room and I won the final game of the season, I understood immediately when that buzzer sounded why everyone breaks down and cries, why everyone breaks down and and and, and, and you because you – Push yourself beyond anything. No one prepares you yep. for that. No one prepares. Everyone wants to give you some secret formula, some secret recipe. Eric, you don't want to get in a fight with a man who's willing to do whatever is necessary to win that, that fight. That's a different fight. As a player, Eric, I went to that edge. I participated in that edge. We were willing to do whatever was possible and necessary to win the game. And we had a group that was dedicated with that same mindset. Yep. That's, that's a, you, you, you're yeah. not gonna deny that group. So that is what you understand. And that's hard to convey because that's not like a natural way to live, right? It's not a natural way to say, okay, we lost. And then suddenly everyone shows up and there's nothing said, nothing's planned, and you know what everybody's doing in the room with this one mindset. Like, like you, you don't, that's not normal, <laughs> okay? That just doesn't happen. But when it does happen, and you know that the guy next to you is had the same mindset as you, and this guy got the same, now it becomes a very powerful environment. And not only do we know know that about each other, everyone had the discipline to do that. Everyone made a, a lifestyle commitment. I'm not sure how many people really want to go there. Like everyone talks about going there and everyone, it's nice to talk about why you won and all those things. Look, I know, I, I, I have an understanding of what made Larry Bird great. I wasn't there, but it's not an accident. It's not an accident when Magic wins. It's not an accident the Pistons wins. It's not an accident the Bulls and all of these teams. It's not an accident. And when you see it, I respect it because you know the discipline. 
you don't talk about these type of things. You just like you see someone do it and you go, oh, they got it. And it's one of those things that you, 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 you hopefully everyone will get a chance to experience it. But it's 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 not very comfortable. I can tell you that. So, BJ, in order for you guys to advance to your first NBA Finals, as we've been discussing, obviously you had to get past Detroit, and that journey started uh, shortly after the 1990 uh, postseason ended when you guys lost in Game 7 to the Conference Finals. Do you, do you remember um, beating the Pistons, almost feeling more rewarding in the end than beating the Lakers for the title? No, I, I, I don't remember that. Um, what I remember is we had a job to do. And, you know, Eric, we set, out a, we, we set out a specific goal, right? And the goal was to win the last game of the season. And that's the championship mentality that only a few will get. You don't repeat in this league talking about what you did yesterday. <laughs> that's yeah. not how this works. Especially with you know, that target that, on your back that, after that, you get there. That, 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 that never has occurred. So get this understanding. Everyone talks about, you know, Michael, and he, as he should. He was the leader. Undoubtedly, he was the leader of the team. But as the leader, it was required of everyone that put on that uniform never to trust happiness. Ever. Like, ever. There wasn't any point of talking about well we did it now like yeah look that was a big hurdle for us you know why it was a big hurdle for for us it was the very first time we actually got over the hurdle that's why it was a big hurdle of course upon reflection you know you, you everyone can express themselves right but we didn't come there with the idea of just saying well, now we're here and we're just happy to be here. No, that wasn't the issue. The issue was, okay, we said we were going to commit to winning the last game of the season and we got to find a way to do it. And with that mindset, we were fortunate enough to have the mental capacity to actually do it. So, um, you know, talking about this is kind of uncomfortable because it takes me back to where I was at. You know, people play sports and they love to tell the stories, but no one wants to tell you the suffering and all of the things that it requires to do this. And that is the part that makes you uncomfortable because you realize, you know what, you should enjoy what you're doing and you should enjoy the moment. But the truth of it is, when you're there, no one does because you can't because someone somewhere is coming for what it is you achieved. And that's how it should be. That's how it should be. And once you get there, you better be prepared for that person or that player, or that team or what have you, because uh, the environment is one where the best of the best is going to always be there, and uh, that, that, that's how the game should be well, played. Well, looking forward to learning more about these journeys and uh, you guys keeping your edge and never being satisfied in the episodes ahead. Um, you know, there's obviously some key differences in personnel and the journeys taken between the first three-peat, which you were a part of, and the second three-peat, and... Um, you know, pivoting now to our man and, and your old friend, Will Perdue, who um, was part of the first three-peat, and then ironically, he ends up uh, in San Antonio being traded for Dennis Rodman, which I don't think a lot of people uh, uh, recall. So more from B.J. Armstrong, Will Perdue, and myself talking about the last dance. You know, I was fortunate enough to win another championship in San Antonio, and, and people ask, well, what was the difference and I tell people that, you know, it wasn't that in Chicago, it wasn't like we didn't get along. It wasn't like we were always fighting, but guys had other interests. They had families, you know, um, you know, whether it was, they had kids, whether they were married, whatever it may have been, you know, when practice was over, when we were in Chicago, you know, BJ and I did things together, but there were also little clicks. Horace and Scotty were over here and Michael was on his own and Bill was with his family and Pax was with his family and, 
whatever it may be, Craig Hodges, whatever it may be. You know, we spent more time on the road because we were together, but it wasn't technically, you know, what you would say a tight-knit family. It was a family per se, but not a tight-knit family. The culture was just different. It was about the product on the floor. But as BJ said, regardless of what happened, we all came together for, for one reason. And when we crossed that line to start that game, BJ's 100% right. I knew that everybody had the same goal in mind and everybody had done or prepared however they prepared to put us in a position to win. Whereas when I was in San Antonio, that was a true family atmosphere. And that culture started with Greg Popovich. Everybody cared about each other. Everybody spent time with each other off the floor in San Antonio. Pop would pull guys aside periodically uh, to have dinner with groups in twos and threes on the road. And one rule was we talk about everything but basketball. Those mm-hmm. types of things didn't happen in Chicago. But at the end of the day, we still got the same results. That just means that there's more than one way to win championships. Yeah, that's that's interesting hearing uh, the the different experiences, but at the end of the day, everybody having that collective focus together over uh, a, a long period of time to get the job done, and obviously with you guys, um, you know, it was the journey to being in position to win a title, and then it, of course it was for the the first three peat uh, before Michael stepped aside to 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 go to baseball and. Uh, you know, you guys obviously remained very, very uh, competitive uh, while he was gone and, and into his return in 94, uh, 95. But, you know, then both of your uh, careers take you out of Chicago. And, and Will, I had, to, I had to remind myself in uh, reviewing some things before we jumped on today, you're traded for, you know, for of all people. Uh, Dennis Rodman to those San Antonio Spurs where you end up winning a title uh, four years later. What was being traded like after winning three championships in Chicago and and having those relationships and, and of course now reflecting on it, uh, you know, who you were traded for? You know, I, I didn't even really think twice at the time about who I was traded for that, that had no impact on me whatsoever initially. All I remember was, is I was just, I was hot because, you know, we knew that with Michael coming back the previous year and playing the last 20 plus games of the regular season and us losing to Orlando in the playoffs that, you know, coming off that, that lockout that we were going to be the favorite. Michael's back, you know, kind of like the Blues Brothers said, the band's back together. You know, the core was still pretty much the same. We had a couple uh, different guys coming off the bench, but you know, as far as that group of guys, you know, we were ready to go. Even though, um, of, even though we had the lockout, I thought, you know, as a, as a group, we had done a pretty good job preparing ourselves for whenever practice was going to, you know, when the lockout was going to end and practice was going to start. And, you know, you still approached it as, hey, we're going to have an 82-game season. We're going to have preseason, the whole deal. But, hey, you, we all know how hard MJ's training and getting himself ready. So we need to be ready to go as well. And then boom, I get traded to San Antonio. So my initial thought was, is that, you know, it was gut wrenching. Cause I was like, you know, I was going to have another opportunity to win a championship. I was going to have another opportunity to, you know, improve myself as a player, you know, the whole thing. And then it also, then it, after that, it hit me that I was traded for Dennis Rodman. I was like, wait a minute, Jerry Krause used to always talk about, I want a team, with character, not a bunch of characters. And I was like, that just totally goes against everything he's always said. So that, you know, pissed me off even more, but I just couldn't fathom how that could happen because of, you know, what we had done in the past. But then, you know, as I reflect on it years later, I was like, Hey, that's Dennis Robin. That guy's in the hall of fame. That's, that's an honor. I was traded for a hall of famer straight up, you know? So, but also, I also realized that if that trade's not made, I probably don't develop as the player and the person that I've become because, you know, I also, through all those times in Chicago, I butted heads with Phil Jackson a lot. I kind of felt like 
there was a part of him that, you know, kind of stunted my growth a little bit. Whether that was the case or not, we'll never really know. But I know I also got to blossom as a player and as a person once I got to San Antonio, you know, most notably because of Greg Popovich and that culture and atmosphere that he developed in San Antonio. So at the end of the day, in my opinion, it was a win-win. It was a win-win for the Bulls. It was a win-win for me, and it was a win-win for Dennis. I know I've done a couple interviews here in the last couple of days about how Dennis, you know, always refers to me as a nobody. Because obviously he's taken that trade personally because of who he got traded for. But I think he'd be better off, you know, thinking about what he was able to accomplish because of that trade and the fact that Jerry Krause was willing to take that chance. Because I'm not sure how many other teams would be willing to take that chance considering what had happened with Dennis the year before in San Antonio and to allow the Bulls to do what they were able to do and get another three-peat. Yeah, I was going to say there's a good chance Dennis Rodman's out of the league very quickly if that trade's not made at that time, in, in my opinion, and, and from what I remember. And, and, Will, I'm glad you bring up Phil, and, and this is um, you know for both of you guys to go back and forth on, but you know what – what was Phil's relationship building like in terms of how he built relationships with the team as a whole individual guys? And then how did that work for each of you as the, uh, as the three peak uh, began to blossom? Well, I'll let BJ go first and then I'll pick it up. Well, it, you know, it, it was an interesting, interesting time is, uh, you know, Upon reflection, you know, you can always look back and see things. Look, Will and I didn't come into a situation where we actually had an opportunity to explore who we were or who we were going to be as young players in this league, right? Every young player has to find out what they're capable of doing. And it doesn't make it right or wrong or indifferent. Will and I came into situations where we were placed in a situation where we had to contribute to a championship caliber team, which, you know, look upon look, looking back on it is probably the greatest thing that happened to both of us. But at the same time, um, I think it's only human nature to want to find out who you're going to be as a young player in this league. So um, for, for me, I can't say speak for Will, it was a part of, you know, your youth when you come into this league and you want to compete and part of the equation is you think you have an understanding of what's going on in the NBA, but you really don't. And what I say for me, what I really don't is in the end, the only thing that really matters is what we were able to achieve, which was winning. But at the same time, there was this human nature when I first came in to want to explore like I wanted to see wow I'm in the NBA I want to see what what can be done <laughs> while I'm here right you work hard you work on your game you do all of these things and then suddenly there's no opportunity to explore those uh explore those chances so that would that to me was the balance um of coming in and I get it as it should be. And I wouldn't trade it for any other way, but at the same time, um, you know, when you're young, when you're a young player, you need that transition period. Right. And Will and I, or at least myself, maybe Will felt differently, didn't have that window of opportunity to transition. Right. I didn't have a transition to say, this is who I'm going to be in the NBA. I came in and suddenly you know, I, I was thrust into a situation sink or swim and I had to make a choice. And the choice was obvious. I had to do what was necessary to do to fill the role that was required and asked of me to do. But at the same time, like all players, right. And, you know, everyone wants to figure out who they're going to be and have that little space of time to, to develop as a player on and off the court. You know, and, and BJ's right. And that's what I talked about, you know, earlier in our, in this podcast about how, you know, BJ came in as like an older soul, very mature, um, not only player, but person. And as you heard, he figured that out quickly. You know, he wasn't going to let himself sink. 
but he also had to me, and that's when I talk about, you know, making the sacrifice. You know, BJ doesn't, you know, he's a very humble person, so he's not going to say, hey, I was much better than the role I was asked to play. But yet, in the bigger picture, you know, it's all about winning, because if you do win, you'll, you'll get the credit you deserve. And BJ was also an all, you know, was an all-star one year. But I, I wish I could go back, and I wish I was, you know, the one thing that BJ didn't do that I did was I took some things personally when I shouldn't have. Um, you know, I talk about how I mentioned how Phil and I used to butt heads periodically. And that was probably one of Phil's strengths was he figured out how to manipulate guys to get what he needed out of them. He didn't really care about whether somebody likes him or not. There wasn't this, I'm not really sure how many guys could say they had relationships with Phil off the floor. He did a pretty good job of separating himself from that. He was just more concerned about being the head coach of the Chicago Bulls and getting what he needed from each individual player. And he basically handled, in my opinion, each player differently. I look back and, and you know, wish that I would have been more mature in the sense that I wouldn't have pushed back as hard and had the, you know, the arguments that I had with him sometimes, you know, in front of everybody and sometimes in his office and wish I would have just been able to take more of an approach like BJ did and be like, you know, Hey, my day will come. Let me just do what he's asking me to do. Let me succeed in this role. And at some point, you know, I'll be able to, as BJ said, I'll hit my growth spurt. I'll be able to, you know, spread out. I'll be able to, you know, fly, whatever. But right now it's, you know, it's a bigger goal. I always felt like with Phil, I was kind of, you know, running uphill, you know, trying to be something that, uh, you know, he envisioned me to being where I thought I could be something better or different. But that's also the learning curve, like BJ's talking about. We weren't really given that opportunity. And it was kind of interesting, as I mentioned, I was traded once I was traded to San Antonio. I got that opportunity later, but I also had to realize the mistakes that I had made and had to change my approach, you know, to how I was going to, you know, play the game. But I was also, when you get traded, you're given a new opportunity. You're given a, a fresh start. I had a whole new team, a whole new coaching staff, a different general manager. And, you know, that was the one thing that pop did. He said, Hey, slate's clean. I know what you did in Chicago. I know what you can do, but we're going to give you an opportunity to prove if you can do more. And that's what this four weeks of training camp is for. Show us what you can do. Act like you've never played in the league before. Act like you have to prove yourself all over again. And that's exactly what I needed. Whereas, you know, hey, as I talked about, I was mad that I got traded initially, but that was probably the best thing from a career standpoint, from a personal standpoint of being able to um, answer questions about myself. Yeah, I missed out on winning some championships. But I think as BJ will, will, will say, when you know, a lot of times when you can answer personal questions, that's just as, as rewarding as a, as winning a championship because now you haven't left the game and your body's failed you and you can no longer play and you have all these unanswered questions and you have doubt. And that's I'm sure BJ's done the same, you know, with uh, Oscar. You know, my son's 16. You know, one of the things you try to share with your kids is, is that you know, try to make sure that you put yourself in a position to succeed, but also put yourself in a position to where later in life, you're not thinking back about, man, I wish I would have done so-and-so, or I wish I would have done this. You know, it's hard enough because we feel like our kids are stubborn and they have to develop their own identity. But you, you want to try to also put yourself in a position where you don't have a lot of regret because there's nothing you can do to change that. So, BJ, speaking with Will, learning so much, and, you know, one of the things that we learned is about, you know, his departure from Chicago. Um, you also had a departure from Chicago and, and you know, had a career elsewhere uh, before uh, leaving the NBA. So you, ironically, which is a piece of trivia, uh, you're the first choice of the expansion Toronto Raptors, obviously a, a much different uh basketball environment and organization at that point and um not somewhere that i don't i don't think you were looking to go after those years uh with the bulls you're ultimately traded to golden state uh, what were the circumstances there and how did that go down 
Uh, yes. Well, at the time, um, I was left unprotected by the Bulls, which meant I could be, and I, I was. I was the the first pick in the expansion draft that year, and uh, ironically, um, you know, another little trivia: uh, Isaiah Thomas was the general manager, president of the Toronto Raptors yeah. franchise. <laughs> who drafted me up there with the Toronto Raptors. And so it was, uh, you know, they were an expansion team. They were building their team. And, you know, that was going to be the first year they were going to play professional basketball up there. And, you know, it was clearly they were in a rebuild-type situation. You know, and I had come off um, – where I was competing and in the playoffs and doing those things. And I, I knew what they were going through. And I think they were very respectful in the fact of saying where I was at in my career, where they were at, where they were going. And eventually uh, I was moved to the uh, Golden State Warriors uh, in a in a trade where they got what they were looking for at the time, which was picks and young bodies and, and building that way. And then I was uh, moved to a team and I joined the team where there was Tim Hardaway, Latrell Sprewell, Chris Mullen, and uh, we had we had we had we had some good, really good players. So, um, you know, that's how it works out. That's the business of the NBA. I I got it. I understood where they were at. And speaking about the Toronto Raptors and where I was at in my career, and uh, you move on and uh, you do what you have to do. A couple of weeks ago, and I meant to call you, and it was on while I was working, but Magic Johnson's. 1996 comeback game at the forum against the Warriors is on. And all of a sudden I look up at the screen and there you are in a Golden State uniform bringing up the basketball against the Lakers. And then I just got glued to the screen and Magic is ball faking Latrell in the lane. And there you are with Mullen on the floor and Ronnie Cycli and uh, just this really interesting mix of 90s Warriors characters. Um, it was, it was quite a trip down memory lane because I remember watching that, uh, watching that with, with my dad. And and that leads me to, you know, asking, you know, obviously in that time period, um, you know, your, your championship culture, every moment you're in the league, your conference finals, 93 NBA championships, 91, 92, 93, and then just in two dogfight series in 94 against the Knicks and 95 against Orlando. Um, what's it like going from that culture uh, to another organization that doesn't necessarily have that same focus? Well, you know, people toss that term around culture as if it's some mystery of what it really is. Um, yeah. You know, it's become kind of a, you know, it's it's come fashionable to say I'm going to come and build the culture, and you know, I always kind of chuckle to myself because you know what, I am the culture. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's a that's that's you a know, pro, that's I, a promo I, note I, for the week ahead. <laughs> yeah, I I am the culture, and so I I I've, I yep. hear it, and I people say it. But the truth of it is, is that you have to find people who are ready to hold themselves responsible and accountable to the group. That's the culture. Now, how many of those guys can you put in a room where everyone's responsible and accountable and hold themselves? So if I did something, let's say I was late to practice, I can be assured that if I was late to the bus mm -hmm. in Chicago. I didn't need the coaches or anyone to get on me to tell me because I can assure you that every player on that bus was going to hold me accountable because that was the first thing that everyone had to respect about other time. If you don't respect the man next to you's time, then you have nothing. So if, if I was late, let's take off I was late. Bill Cartwright was going to pull me to the side. Craig Hodges, John Paxson, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Stacey King, all of these guys were going to put me to the side because 
they we held the group accountable to each other that's the culture now how many of those guys you have on the team and not only do how many of those guys you have on the team how many of those guys have taken the time to invest into the guy next to him so that we can have truthful honest conversations without us being offended because we all understood that we were here what was best for the group and we had to do that that's the culture now what i understood was i had seen and i was being able to see the difference between that group and another group who was going through the process of figuring out what this league was really all about so all of these things about building culture and all those things they sound great sound it sound fabulous that's terrific but i i learned very quickly that that's what it was that's what it is and when you look at the teams today when you look at the warriors they are accountable to the group you know you had andre iguodala sean livingston steph curry all those people are accountable to the group they held themselves accountable when you look at the Toronto Raptors yep. a year ago, Kyle Lowry, <laughs> uh, uh, what's the, the, the kid, Serge Ibaka, those guys were accountable to the group. Van Fleet, he was a young player, accountable to the group. So I always look at that and just say, hey, I was in the league. I, I learned that. And it was a great lesson to learn because you say, oh, that's what culture is. I got to find 12 other guys who all think alike or 11 other guys. So like-minded people, that's the culture. And you got to find those. And, you know, and, and it takes time to understand that, right? You shouldn't come in this league and learn that. But once you do learn it, it gives you a different outlook and you make different choices once you begin to understand if you want to win in this league. So what, what was it like uh, 96 through 98, you're in a different uniform and you're, you know, you're now playing against the Bulls. What, what was that experience like? Well, it, 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 was, it, it, was, it was fabulous in this regard. You know, when you're looking at someone and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you practice, but you realize that you, you know, like I, all those years I practiced with those guys and I was recognizing what they were doing. And it was great to see because you like, you like, God, I learned these lessons that you thought was just normal. And then suddenly you realize that, no, the other people don't know it. Hmm. And it wasn't anything like I knew some something special it was just there are things that are going on that, that I recognize like I recognize that a Phil Jackson coach team they were going to try to come out in the first five minutes of a third quarter and really just make you think about do you really want mm -hmm. to finish this game and you realize why all the great teams always try to come out in the first half, in the second half, in the first five minutes, they really try to pound the other team because that's a critical moment of the game. And then you realize that when you are playing with a young team, that these guys haven't learned that yet. And you learn how if I'm not playing well, my job is just to keep the game close. Like I never understood that until I was playing in a championship caliber team is that yeah we're all playing to win but sometimes you're just not playing well but you have to play well enough to keep the game close because the NBA game is a 48 minute game and everybody's going to make a run so we just have to keep the game close enough always in striking distance so that when we do make our run we can close the game you understand how not to you know, you may be unbelievably hot in the first half, but you understand, like, you know what? It's not time to try to close the game because there's too much time left on the clock. So you have to learn how to get consecutive stops so that the team, the other team can 
we can break the other team's confidence, not by scoring more points, by just by breaking their confidence because we're going to stop them. Like you learn all of these things, and this is these are the little things that you learn playing on a championship caliber team, or you're playing because you're trying to develop those winning ways with a young team. Doesn't make it right or wrong. Everyone has to go through it. So that's what I was able to see when I went to the league. I really learned about the NBA when I <laughs> went to the other teams. That's when I really learned about the NBA. I saw the the trajectory of where teams were. I could look at a team and say, that team is going to be a really good team, but they're not ready to play at a championship level. And that's when I was able to see the NBA because I wasn't playing in the NBA because no one was, was expecting us to win the championship. So I was able to experiment. And my greatest lessons of playing in the NBA was when I wasn't playing with the Bulls because I learned about the other 29 teams. And I was able to see the mindset, the preparation, these things people call culture, best players, all of the other things, because I didn't have, I wasn't playing with the same group where we were just expected to win no matter what. We were playing, hey, we were playing to get respected in the league. We were playing to make it to the playoffs. We were playing for all, for different things. So you had to learn how to adjust and adapt to where the team was at. And that was the greatest lessons that I've learned because that gave me a thorough lesson of what the life in the NBA was really like, right? You can't always win and only talk about the times you want. No, I've been on some teams and, you know, and, and, I, and I've always taken this responsibility, you know, these aren't bad teams, right? I was part of the team. I recognized then that, you know, there aren't bad teams. There's just a lot of great yeah. players in this league. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's the, just a lot the of great difference, players. The difference yeah, you, in the you lens know? <laughs> of being part of the Chicago Bulls in that time and then being on a different team in the league, and obviously there were other teams that were highly, highly competitive during that time and others that weren't, but the contrast and how you look at things and what you learn uh, being with the Bulls versus being in other places. And then I, I, I love that litmus test of, um, you know, reading a team's DNA by what they do coming out of that locker room in the third quarter. Um, you see it time and time again, and I, I think the Bulls were one of the uh, – you know, the, the earlier teams who made that a real priority, but at the same time, the, the, it was being oh, done was before, a, I'm a, sure, yeah. but also the, the way the game yes. was being uh, televised and analyzed was really rising at that point in the early 90s. So, um, that, I mean, that's, a, that's yeah. a critical part. Like, the third quarter, so you, at, the, at the beginning part of the game, most good teams – are going to be ready to play at the beginning of the game. Most good teams, right? There's some times where you come out and you just, you know, you don't play well, you stink it up, and for whatever reason, you have to absorb that as well. But for the most part, the good teams will be ready at the yep. start of the game. The exceptional teams will take advantage of that first five minutes of the third quarter because the first five minutes of the third quarter is where you can actually make all of the adjustments that's necessary to either crush your team or set the tempo because a coach, he doesn't have time to regroup. He doesn't have time to like bring his team back in and show them on the sure. tape and all of those things. So you try to take that first five minutes, right? And you try to establish right then and there and put doubt in the other team's mind. Every great team does that, right? The Warriors, the, you know, when you watch a Doc Rivers team, yep. the, 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 the Celtics, the Pistons, it's a most critical moment. And you can actually win a game in the first five minutes and lose a game in the first, in the first five minutes of the, of the third quarter if you're not careful. So we knew that. Now, if you've never seen that, you've never heard that, you're like, you don't understand how important warming up after halftime. Phil Jackson came in, he got the job done. He said, now guys, let's get out here and get yourselves ready because we can win this mm -hmm. game in the first five minutes. You can, so when I always go to the game now and one of my favorite things to look at is like how guys warm up after halftime. 
because you can see. Yeah. <laughs> they always say the game changes. The game doesn't change. The perception of the game changes. The rules may change. The championship caliber teams all do the same thing. They play defense. They look for gaps in the other team, and they exploit it. And I always love to watch the teams after halftime because you can see the difference of the focus of the teams that are good and the teams who are just figuring out what this league is really all about. It's not that they're not good. They're just figuring it out. Everyone is on their own learning curve. And the, the championship teams, it's like a little secret that you all know and you find out along your, along your journey. Let's end on this. Uh, as you've watched parts one through four of The Last Dance, has anything jumped out at you and surprised you? Um, no. Not, not things, I, I shouldn't say shouldn't didn't surprise me. I, when I watch this series now, there's a lot of emotion, right? Who liked who or who did what and all of these things. But the professional cuts through it and says, I got a job to do. I'm going to do my job. And it doesn't really matter because... All of the things that happen outside of those outside of those four lines that you have to perform in doesn't really matter. I didn't care who liked who. I didn't care if me and this guy didn't go to lunch all the time. I didn't care about anything other than when I get in between those four lines, those other 11 guys, I owe them hmm. my best. And they owe me their best. And I, and I could count on that. That was the one place where I could have a direct impact on the outcome of what we all came to do. And that was because I was playing with 11 other professionals and I was coached by ultimate professionals and all of the other things really didn't matter. I'm not saying that's the right way or the wrong way, but that's what I knew. And if anything, this is brought back some things that I really know, it doesn't transfer into like my everyday life. So as a young guy who was, I didn't have the, you know, the, the, the commitments and family things that I have today, there's no way that I could live my life like that today with kids and family and wife and job and all the other things. But as a young man, I knew I was so extreme that I could do it. And it's very kind of uncomfortable because you know what those other guys were doing. And all of us know who was there that when you're that focused, it's, 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 it's a little dysfunctional, <laughs> right? It's a little dysfunctional to be that focused in on something, right? There has to be some type of balance. and But if you want to be champion, that's what you got to do. So I think I said at the beginning of all of this, I'm uncomfortable watching this because those people that you see, yes, they are characters, but those are my friends. And that's where we were at then. We achieved what we wanted to achieve. But... Honestly, like, you know, it's it's like, hey, I'm, I'm over 50, I'm 52 now, and now I want to be 52 and say those were good times and move on without bringing back all of the things knowing because we're, we're talking about the good stuff there, but trust me, when I tell you behind the scenes and the practices and all of the things that we did to have that moment, just that one moment of, like, celebration – there was a lot that went into that. And most of it, I just want to put it behind me and say, hey, you did what you had to do and you moved on. Because that type of dedication isn't something that you can prepare yourself for because you have no idea. You have no idea. Most people have no idea. But to the people that have done that, they're not going to tell you like, oh, it's the greatest or the no, it's not because you have to go, you have to dig so deep and you find, you may find things you don't like about yourself. 
you may find things you don't like about another person. But regardless, you have to continue to move on and pursue that for the better of something. You're not even sure whether it's going to happen or not. And, um, you know, that's, I know that was a long <laughs> answer, but, you know, that's just what uh, I, I no, see every I, time I, I, every think time of a I watch this. a better way to close it and you reliving some of these things and seeing your, your, your teammates and yourself and taking you back in time to the good, the bad, the ugly, and whatever it took to get there, you guys did. And um, great great way to close the show. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, The Last Dance episodes five and six coming up on Sunday night. And uh, I am looking forward to our next conversation on this. So great job as always, my man. Special thanks to your guy, Will Perdue, uh, our producer, Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, the entire Pure Hoops Media team. And uh, we are still cranking out our shows because uh, there are a lot of stories to tell, a lot of conversations to have, uh, even though we're distant. So the Mike Wise Show dropping on Mondays, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams on Tuesdays, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong on Wednesdays, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks the one and only Monica McNutt on Thursdays and of course the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself talking last dance talking playoff rivalries we'll continue to be knocking out the show stay safe stay healthy and of course stay pure the Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media